Thank you for tuning in to the Excellent Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Hulse, president of ERG Executive Search, a nationwide executive search firm based here in Appleton, Wisconsin. Today's guest is a seasoned healthcare leader with a distinguished career in blood banking that spans over 35 years. As the president and CEO of the Community Blood Center and Midwest Blood Centers, his leadership, vision, and passion have led to remarkable growth and expansion. Recognized as a 2023 Wisconsin Titan 100, his unwavering dedication to ensuring patients have access to life-saving blood supplies has transformed countless lives. Not only is he a key member of the community, but his influence extends to many nationwide organizations as he now serves as the chair of the AABB Task Force on Domestic Disasters and Acts of Terrorism. His deep commitment to making a difference embodies the essence of impactful leadership. I am thrilled to welcome to the Excellence Exchange, the president and CEO of the Community Blood Center, John Higgins. Hi, John. Hi, Sharon. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. That was so kind. Well, it's it's your career is a outstanding testament. Um, and, and you and I um, know each other. Obviously, we live in the same community. But one of the things that um, I love so much is the Community Blood Center. And I want to talk a little bit today, and we, we will touch on the business of blood banking, because it's sure. so different than, obviously, I think, as a general rule, the population, um, you know, thinks about when they think about blood banking. So let's start with your journey. You were in Atlantic City. So that was, was. a while ago. And then you worked through your way American Red Cross, and then ultimately to become a very significant driving force within blood banking. Uh, so talk to me about your current role, Community Blood, and that that journey to get to where you are today. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so started out, as you mentioned, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. That's where I was born and raised and, uh, you know, had the had the normal, I think, life, beach life type of thing, being a couple, mm-hmm. a couple of blocks off the beach as growing up. And my first job, as you know, and many others may know, was on the boardwalk in Atlantic City at 14. And stock shelves at Planters Peanuts during the in the morning and in the in the afternoon I put on the Planters Peanut shell and went out and had pictures taken with with kids across from the steel pier in Atlantic City so it was a it was a little bit of a showmanship uh, start to uh, to my career but something that uh, I found very invaluable uh, so that was that was the, the beginnings um, and there's no indication there that blood banking would be in my my future at all and uh, you know went to went to college locally and uh, my senior year in college, uh, there was a job at the American Red Cross to pack blood to go to hospitals. And I thought, wow, this is a good opportunity uh, for me. I can finish my senior year. It was good work. It was good pay. And then I can, you know, get that air quotes going, um, find a real job. Um, the real job ended up finding me uh, because I started with the Red Cross uh, when I was 21 years old. And uh, I've, I've been in blood banking um, the entire 36 years since then. And sometimes you say you find your career and other times the career finds you. And in my case, the career found me. Uh, I worked 27 years for the Red Cross, 22 of them in Philadelphia, and became part of that community. Uh, five years before coming to Appleton, I was at a blood center uh, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, but that included 100 counties in five different states and a wide geography. And uh, I remember distinctly, I was I was driving from a meeting in um 
Lexington, Kentucky, to go to another meeting in Morgantown, West Virginia, the next day. And, and I got a call about three in the afternoon uh, from someone saying, would you be interested in talking about a position in Appleton, Wisconsin, with the Community Blood Center? And I said, first of all, I have all kinds of time right now. I've got about four hours in the car. So if you've got time, I've got time. And the second was, yeah, tell me about Appleton, Wisconsin. I had never heard of, uh, I had a lot of detail about Appleton, uh, had a good reputation of the community blood center, but didn't know a lot about the community. So that started my journey and it'll be about 10 years uh, in November. That's amazing. And, and obviously gr very grateful you have done, I mean, your predecessor did great work and you've even taken it further than, than uh, what we thought possible as far as the community blood center would be. Um, uh, when I came, when, when I came in the community blood center, some of uh, the leaders here said it was the best kept secret um, mm -hmm. in the in the area, and and we set out uh, ten years ago to to change that perspective. And um, we, we're an over sixty year organization, and uh, in those sixty years, I'm the fourth president and CEO of the organization. So there's it's it's been very stable, long term, folks. The first CEO was twenty five years. The second was twenty five years. Um, my predecessor was in for about four before he decided to retire and, and now it's me at about 10. So a lot of stability, uh, but a lot of great opportunity. Yeah. No, it's, and, and uh, it's, it's just such a different business than I ever anticipated it would be when we had worked with Rick. So um, one of the things that as CEO that I read, you stated your goal was to ensure patients relying on blood transfusion have access to that blood. Share for our listeners, the insights on how does your team ensure that that happens every day? And what are some of the challenges that you faced in order to hit that goal? Yeah, so the number one challenge is always supply. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's where we spend most of our time day in and day out to make sure that there's enough blood, blood donors available um, to, meet, to meet the needs. Because in the end, it all starts with the with one human giving the gift of life to another. Uh, and so that's, that's what drives um, our entire process. Some people may think, well, we collect blood and then we send it off to hospitals and it gets transfused. And there's a lot more that goes on to that. It goes into that. Um, the, that may have been the way it was in the fifties and maybe sixties, but, but today's world, that, that unit of blood gets, it's broken down into its different components, uh, red cells, platelets, plasma, uh, while our staff are manufacturing transfusion components, um, the test tubes that are that come along with with the blood donation are going to our testing lab. We've got a state of the art testing lab here uh, in Appleton where we test every blood donation to make sure it's absolutely safe um, for the patient that's going to receive it. Once all those things happen and come together, and remarkably that happens within 24 to 36 hours after a donation, um, blood products are available to go to hospitals, and you know we're really proud of the fact that um, over the last 10 years, we've grown from serving um, 18 local hospitals, so well over 40 now, and we're meeting the transfusion needs in communities all across Wisconsin, the UP, uh, and, and even some far-reaching um, hospitals in Boston, in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, in, um, uh, in Pennsylvania, and in, uh, in, in Texas. So uh, the impact that we have here, we like to say that we're locally focused, but we're nationally connected. And we make sure that every blood donation is used to its uh, fullest extent. That was the thing that was so fascinating to me when we worked with the board on a search for your predecessor is it's so it's such a different business. I mean, I probably had the same impression as most of our listeners, and that is the blood mobile. So you think you go in, you donate blood, it goes to one of the two local hospitals, and then that's the end of it. And you have no idea 
the the testing and the the state of the art facilities that you have here and all of those things that really make blood banking big business you know the exporting and importing of blood and all of those different things so um talk to us about the the business of blood banking um you, you grew up in this industry you know i i believe by the way what you said Careers, typically people, unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you don't choose that career. It chooses you and, mm-hmm. and you grow up in it. Were you surprised early on at kind of the big business that making sure people had what they needed in blood banking? Were you surprised by how big a business that is? I, I was. I mean, my interaction before, before joining the Red Cross at the time, my interaction was donating blood in high school, right? And mm-hmm. you do it get out of class. You do it for all the fun reasons. Um, so I, I, I was in the same spot that you were. Uh, what, what amazed me was the amount of um, complicated, the complicated processes that go into making sure that the blood that's, that's being collected um, is safe for patients to be, um, to be transfused. Uh, and at the heart of everything that we do, it's connecting the blood donor to the patient. But that level of connection um, can be can be fairly complicated between the testing pieces. And we, and here in Appleton, we've, we've invested uh, pretty heavily in the last five years in upgrading um, and advancing our, uh, our testing opportunities. In, in, in the, just the last year, we've added a molecular testing lab um, that, that took our, our level of, um, of capabilities and capacity to, to even greater heights. And I'm really proud of the things we've been able to do here and the, the jobs and the, um, and the science that we've been able to bring into, into the community. Um, but in a general sense, um, you know, blood is, is, is a perishable commodity and we have to make best use of it. Our number one value here is stewardship to make sure that we, we take care of the precious gift that we're given. And that means that within 24 to 36 hours, most of the blood products that are donated are going out to our local hospitals. Within two to three weeks, if they haven't been used from that hospital, it's our job to cycle them back out and then make sure that they can go to a patient that needs it anywhere in the U.S. Uh, and that's the way that our blood banking model works. And, and the donors in Wisconsin are, are, are so generous uh, and that we take care of our local needs first, but we also have that capability and capacity to be able to um, spread that, that good, good feeling and, and, and uh, charitable giving from a blood donation perspective to so many other communities around the U.S., uh, it provides us with an opportunity to serve uh, all of our hospitals, um, whether they're trauma centers or whether they're rural hospitals with um, the blood products they need when they need them. Uh, and then also make sure that we're good stewards of the gift that, we, that we've been entrusted with. So I was thinking about our visit. And um, one of the things I was thinking about with your, with your long career is you've been through a lot of the same challenges that, that we've experienced, but you've been through the AIDS epidemic you've been through covid how did those i mean those are significant events that impact your business probably more than any business so talk to us about that and how how did you have to pivot during those times to make sure that you know still you're serving and and you have stewardship for the people that need your services Sure. Um, it started out. I, I started in 1987, so it was it was probably the height of the um, HIV um, 
epidemic. And and with blood being a possible pathway for, for transmission, um, you know, we were at the forefront of trying to make sure that blood products and blood transfusions were as safe as possible. And that's been a long road and a long transition. And uh, most of that was driven by science and, and being able to develop tests that um, were more sensitive and, and continue to be more sensitive as, as we go along. And that was an, a slower evolution uh, that focused completely on patient, uh, patient safety from a, a transmissible disease perspective. COVID was something completely different. Um, COVID was, uh, it changed, it changed our business remarkably. Uh, in a typical model we had pre-COVID, uh, we would work with, uh, community members that wanted to sponsor blood drives and they would recruit their friends and their coworkers to come to a blood drive and, and donate blood. Um, when everything shut down for COVID, that model virtually disappeared. And we had to figure out very quickly, how do we meet the needs of the community for, for uh, blood products in a way that our model no longer functioned the, the way it did before? So we had to basically move from a business to business model to a business to consumer model, B2B to B2C model. And that had to be done pretty much within a, just a few weeks. Uh, and so we rallied the troops, um, great leadership team here at the Community Blood Center. Uh, and everyone was all in to figure out how we could best do this. And we went back old school and we did a lot of direct mail and sent it through you know, U.S. mail. But we also used a lot of the technologies that were available to us, whether it was texting, email, notifications, uh, just to get the word out that um, the normal donation channels weren't available. But we had our fixed site locations. And when everybody was talking about what was essential, we were very fortunate that we got a lot of good messaging from the Surgeon General and others that blood donation is still essential. And it was one of those places that, you know, still go out, still donate blood and still support the community in that way. And we, we grew 5% during that first year of COVID in our donations. And it was, it was a great community feel to it. Uh, there was a real coming together that we can support this. And then it was a real quick flex from a business perspective. How do we meet donors, potential donors where they are? And, um, it was, it was, it was hectic. I'll, I'll say that. And I, I think that now that we're post COVID, we're trying to learn a new world and, it, and what that new business model is with hybrid work or um, manufacturing facilities that are backed up still with, with demand. And maybe they can't afford the same commitment of time for their employees to take time to donate blood. And so how can we continue to evolve our connections to the community to meet again, potential donors where they are? Uh, so it's a, well, it, it's been a it's it has been a uh, certainly has been a journey, uh, and we continue to learn every day. And I think we continue to um, experiment with the best way to connect people to each other. And sometimes it's easier, and sometimes it's very difficult. And that's the thing that I admire so much about you is you truly are, in my opinion, a visionary leader who's always looking at the landscape and saying, okay, so we we need to be on the leading edge. We need to be on the bleeding edge of what's happening within within our, our workplace, within the economy, all of that to still make sure to serve those people who need us the most, right? Those patients that desperately need the product that you have, which is, which is blood. So thinking about your early career, and and today as CEO, 
What are some of the things? I mean, we've got a lot of people who listen to our podcast who are, you know, in that mid-career, right? They're not CEOs yet, but they they aspire to be a leader. Um, what are some of the things that sort of help to, um, you know, set the stage for you to ultimately be able to be the kind of leader that you are today? Oh, well, that's a great question. Uh, and in thinking about that, I, I think it comes down to, to two things. Um, I was always grateful that I had I reported to leaders that allowed me to be entrepreneurial. So, you know, the idea of being able to look forward and to test new ideas and to do things within the risk structure that, that, that everybody finds tolerable. Uh, but I was, I was given the opportunity throughout my career to stretch to that next role. And, and you know, I'm very grateful for some of those leaders. Uh, and and they, they trusted me and they, they had faith that um, what I was doing was, was, you know, taking us down the correct path. Um, and the second thing I think um, from a, a leader is to begin to develop the support system around you and the good people around you that can fill in for some of your weaknesses. I'll firmly admit patience is is, is one of my weaknesses. I'm, I'm go, 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 go. <laughs> I think um, most but, entrepreneurs, that's a weakness. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But, but you need a team that can also kind of check the boxes as, as you're going along and make sure that, um, you know, every, your ducks are in a row. And I, I think building the right team and having the right support above and, and below you in an organization is important. Um, and, and those are the, the big drivers because I think as, as leaders, we can, we almost can do anything. Uh, we can, if we see it, we can, we can almost create it. Uh, and it's trying to pick the right things that would make the biggest impact, um, for your mission. And in our case, it's making sure that blood transfusions are, are available or even, you know, as we're looking now and looking to the future, cellular therapies, uh, uh, the use of stem cells, um, the use of uh, autologous donations, of a, a patient that's going through cancer, uh, donating their own cells so they can be treated and infused back. So they're very targeted cancer treatments. Those types of things are the exciting things that are happening within the realm of transfusion medicine that where we need to point and go forward. But we also need to do that in a way that we're, we're trying to see how it fits into the community we're trying to serve. Um, and again, I said before, we're kind of locally focused, um, nationally connected. So having those conversations with our local healthcare leaders to find out where they are in the spectrum of, of care for patients and how can we best get ahead of that so that we can meet their needs when they, when they need it. But, you know, going back to your original question from a leadership perspective, um, be entrepreneurial, you know, be, be inquisitive, read a lot, um, you know, develop your team and have those conversations within the team that can sometimes can be uncomfortable. I like to use the term um, productive conflict. Um, when you can get a group of people together and they're all really passionate and they have the right intent, they want to drive the organization forward, but there's multiple ideas, the conflict that comes before them, that friction that's generated is what moves us forward. And it's not a bad thing. You can, you can live in that area to where you, you really come together as a team and can figure out, you know, what is our best path forward? Um, so, you know, you the, have a some of those basic team. elements of team building. Yeah. How big is your team, John? My leadership team uh, is about seven, is about seven people. Uh, overall, the organization is just about 200 employees right now. Um, so it's, 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 it's growing as we're, we've been growing. And I think the structure within the team has been evolving. Um, but I'll say this, I'm a big fan of Pat Lencioni um, and the five dysfunctions of a team. And uh, to me, uh, that build that bottom building block there of trust is what starts everything. Um, you spend some time developing trust within the team 
and then you can begin building things, uh, building elements of you know conflict and conflict resolution up to the top, to the top level where you're looking at alignment and, and delivering on results. Uh, and that model has been one that that I found very very helpful um, over the course of the last ten or fifteen years in working with the team, uh, only because it, it it hits it hits the right spot in saying that it all begins with trust and beginning to work together means that you can be vulnerable and you can, you can put your ideas out there and everybody's coming from the same place of, we want the organization to do well. We want to fulfill our mission. We want to meet patient needs. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it might be a little hubris, but we think that the way we do um, uh, blood banking and the way that we meet patient needs and the model that we have are, are better than most. And, you know, we want that to grow. We want to be uh, attached to more communities, involved in more communities, because we believe that that's, that's the best way to serve patients. Yeah, I, I think you're doing an amazing job. I mean, I live here. So I, I watch what you've done since taking over, and it's it's been nothing short of phenomenal. I am curious. So um, one of the things that, that you know, you've sort of handpicked individuals to be part of your leadership team. And it's been very thoughtful, I think, on who you're targeting to become part of your team. Do you have a leadership strategy and and are you choosing people that will challenge that strategy or choosing people that can, can chase the hill? I mean, I'm curious because I think you've been probably more thoughtful than most that I've observed on really focusing on targeting um, specific individuals that, that I think most people would look at and say, why would he hire someone like that for that industry? Yeah. So I, again, another great question. I, I, and and you said you asked about whether or not I did it. I would choose someone because of the strategy and challenge the strategy or to fit in with the strategy. And the answer to that is both. Um, I, I've tried to build a team. Uh, one, they're energetic and and smart and um, passionate about what they're doing, uh, but they all bring something different to the table. Um, I, I have um, a chief operating officer who's been in the industry almost as, as long as I have, and, and she's a wonderful resource and a wonderful leader. And operationally, I, I haven't found anybody better. Uh, and she keeps the trains, you know, moving on time and provides the leadership to the staff that's, that's you know, I, I, I have a tough time finding enough adjectives to 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 explain how how um great it is to have her on the team um flip to that to someone we just brought in new um as a as our hr leader and our human resources leader um and what i was looking for in an hr leader at the time was someone as we're growing um how do we grow that middle level of of managers within our organization. And the focus wasn't necessarily on the nuts and bolts of human resources anymore, but it was on staff development and leadership development. And fortunately found someone that was interested in our mission and had a passion about our mission and also was ready to take that next jump and really wanted to embrace um, the staff development piece and really help us develop that next level of leader. Uh, so you know, there's, we're, we're always in a transition period um, as you're growing and you need different things at different times. Um, and at this particular time, we needed a senior leader that could help us explore the best ways to develop our internal leadership and bring leaders in and, and help them grow in their careers. Um, and we, we moved from an individual contributor 
phase of, you know, someone can make a big impact in a smaller organization um, just on their own to needing some structure and needing leadership um, to, to handle our growth and handle the complexities that come along with it. So my choice in, in building a team really is to fit the individual needs at the time. And then also recognize where the strengths and weaknesses are of those of those team members. You want to build a well-rounded team um, that that can flex, and, and certain folks can come to the forefront at different times and, and take the take the reins. Um, and and again, I've been very fortunate um, that good people have been attracted to the to the community blood center and have wanted to contribute to our mission. And um, that group, you know, continues to evolve and continues to grow, but it does make work a lot of fun. Um, you probably well, know this when you have a great team, it makes it a lot of fun to come to work. What you didn't mention that I think is worth mentioning for our listeners is you did not hire based on resume. Your HR person came from manufacturing. So the thing that's so fabulous about that is you hired for the person. Like you said, you hired for the individual needs and what mm-hmm. the organization you didn't hire because people tend to hire well, I want a person who comes from our industry and has that line of sight. And that's really where people stop. And and if the resume doesn't look perfect, they don't hire. And the companies mm-hmm. that we see grow the fastest are people who do exactly what you do. And that is you hire for who they are in their heart, how they meet the mission and how they can help your organization to grow future leaders. And you've done that incredibly well. And, and not all organizations have figured out yet that if you if you hire for the person and you don't just hire off resume, you're going to grow probably faster. So kudos to you for doing that. Yes, thank you. I, I think that's, that's that's a great point. And out of the seven leaders, um, two would have probably grown up in, mm-hmm. in the industry or had specific training, our chief medical officer and our chief operating officer. The other leaders, um, we selected them for their talent, for their passion, um, for their intelligence. Uh, for their leadership qualities. And, and it's really helped. We can teach this business. It may take a while, but we can teach this business to people. But uh, the intangibles that come along with the person are so key to, to being able to be successful. Yeah. And, and I have no doubt that's one of the, one of the many reasons why you're, you're uh, truly an innovative leader, not just locally, but nationally. So let's talk about all the, these industry, um, you know, associations you're involved in, the local stuff. Uh, you got to talk to me about balance because I look at your list of professional organizations you're involved in and the the stuff you're doing locally. And I think, all right, how in the world does he maintain any balance? And yet, you know, we're Facebook friends and I see you and Leah just off having a great time. And you, somehow yep. you figured out how to strike that balance. So you have to tell me what the secret is. Well, I, I think that this, the secret, <laughs> the secret is, I, I don't know that I know how to say no, um, with, with some of the opportunities that come up. And, and I say that cavalierly, but, but really it's, it's more purposeful. Um, I always look at it. I never know where the next opportunity is or the next connection that's going to lead to something fabulous. And if you, if you guard your time so closely and you're worried, too worried about balance, you miss some great opportunities and more importantly, some great people. Uh, and that's locally and nationally and within your own family. Um, we try to maintain that balance and try to maintain certain times where we're, um, you know, it's, it's our time. Uh, but at the same time, the, the richness and the depth that, 
that the connections, whether it's locally in the community through some of the activities we're involved in and I'm involved in, or it's nationally so through some of the organizations, um, there are some great people out there that I call friends, that co colleagues and, and really are friends um, that just enrich your life so, so, so much. So we do find the time. Um, I've got uh, two, two daughters, uh, one that's just getting ready to start college in, in, a, in a little bit, and the other one that's just starting eighth grade. Uh, so we've we've got those family type of activities that are going on and and spending time and, and carving out time for Lee and I to both uh, be able to enjoy each other and our family, but at the same time also be able to um, you know explore things um, professionally and socially that uh, that are of interest. Again, you, if if you say yes, you don't know where it's going to lead, and some right. some of those paths have been pretty remarkable. I've often told my daughter. Uh, if they're asking for volunteers and you don't know how to do it, raise your hand anyway, because you're going to learn something new yep. and it's, it's a great way to get noticed within your career. So I know you place a high value on engagement. That's, that's everything I read about John, you place high value. So how do you think that helps emerging leaders? Because obviously you have benefited deeply from being involved especially in the industry-related organizations. Uh, so, so from an emerging leader perspective, how would you suggest someone start to, to get more involved, whether it's industry-related or even within the community? How would you recommend an emerging leader start to get involved? I think you touched a little bit on it with your advice to your daughter, but it's step forward when there's an opportunity. Uh, so many times um, there's a, a lack of confidence that you know that you don't know all the answers and don't know all the right answers and wh at what level can you contribute? Well, contribute at the level that you can step forward and then learn. And one of the, the most interesting aspects of being involved in boards and being involved in the community and even industry organizations is how much you learn about other businesses and other business models and what makes that organization tick. Um, that's, that's really fascinating, but, you have to take that step forward, even if you're not quite sure you know everything, because you're never going to know everything. But if you take that step forward, um, you're going to learn a lot. and You're going to be able to contribute a lot. And I think that's what I would give my daughters as, as advice is the same exact thing. Engage. Take the step forward. You know, be the first to, to, to reach out and say, yes, I'll do it. Or, yes, I'll be involved in doing it. Or, yes, I'll support you in doing it. And be a sponge and, and bring all that knowledge and, and all that activity um, that you're going to be involved in, bring that all in internally and, and, and figure out how you can process process that going forward. But the, the biggest part is that, yes, it's it's stepping forward and saying, sure, I'll do that. Sure. I'll. And you know what? In some cases, I'll figure it out as it goes along. And in other cases, I've got this and I, and I know. And it's what's pretty amazing is that the linkages between many different variety of, of, of activities, um, uh, there's some fundamental pieces. Uh, you know, I've been involved in the uh, local corporate board of the YMCA for a number of years now. And that non-for-profit entity certainly rolls through from my business experience. Uh, it's a different, it's a different business. The health and welfare of our community is different than providing blood products to, to the community. Uh, but there's still some key fundamental things about engaging people in your mission um, and having a passion about serving the community that, that rolls through. And, and that, those are the building blocks. And if you can step forward and say, yeah, I'm interested in doing that um, and learning and then contributing 
uh, from your own perspective. Uh, but it's 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 getting it's saying it's saying yes. It's getting involved um, in the first place. That that really is the catalyst to to what the future holds. I agree. So I have to ask this because everybody, when I'm sure in the intro went, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Because I would probably be scared to death of this. You chair the AABB Interorganizational Task Force on Domestic Disasters and Ex-Terrorism. Uh, you, you have to tell me about that because okay. when I read that, I was like, okay, in this world, I'd be terrified to, to do that. So, so talk to me about what that, what that organization does. So the organization, uh, is, is part of and coordinated by the Association for the Advancement of Blood and Biotherapies, that's AABB. Um, and the task force was formed right after 9-11. Um, uh, and what happened uh, during the terrorist attacks was there was a, a community outpouring of what can we do and how can we support um, our communities that were impacted. And part of that was there were a lot of people, a lot of people that donated blood. Um, and for about six weeks after uh, 9-11, there continued to be an outpouring of, of, of people that wanted to do something and wanted to contribute something. And donating blood was was one of those natural things that you could come together and do. Um, but, you know, there's been reports and uh, about the, the groundswell of support, and there was more blood products donated than what was needed. And many of those expired um, after the six or seven weeks. Um, as I said before, it's a perishable product. Um, so what we realized as an industry and as a nation is that we needed more concise messaging and coordination among the multiple entities so that we were able to call on the public when needed for blood donations or if they weren't and we needed something that was more of a staggered approach there would be that clearinghouse for that types of that type of information. And that's really what the task force has been doing um, in the 22 years um, uh, since then. And, you know, I was honored a couple of years ago when they asked me to chair the task force and, and it brings together um, uh, military, it brings together governmental agencies, it brings together those that are part of the blood banking community, um, those that are part of the hospital associations, um, and provides a forum that when there is some type of disaster or some type of event that needs blood products, that we can come together, that we can coordinate and understand what the need is locally, what can be still supplied locally, and then what we need to bring in from what resources we need to bring in from from outside. And, you know, thankfully, most, most of this has not been the to the scale of, of the terrorist attacks from on 9-11, but it has, there have been some, some major activities, uh, hurricanes, for example, when, when they go through Florida or through Louisiana, um, can wipe out full communities and can wipe out the infrastructure for, for a, a period of time for those entities that are collecting and distributing and providing blood products. And so our job as part of the task force is to identify what those needs are and then uh, use our resources and our network to provide into those communities that that need the most. And sometimes it, it's it's gone beyond blood products. Um, the, the task force was intimately involved in Louisiana uh, during a hurricane and providing um, and uh, generators um, for the for the local blood center because they were disconnected from their power and needed to continue. So there are a wide range of things that we seem to get involved in. Uh, well, but in the end, it's to make sure that the blood transfusions are available in those communities. And the, the amazing thing about uh, 
our network. Uh, the Red Cross is the, is the big player. 40% of the blood supply is, is, it comes from the Red Cross. The other 60% comes from a network of about 50 different community blood centers, some of them larger and some of them smaller than the community blood center. But that network and that lattice work of bringing those organizations together provide a great flexibility in times of need uh, because what's usually affecting one area of the country isn't affecting everywhere. And we can come together and bring those resources and provide them where they're best needed. And the task force provides that coordination. That's amazing. I've often said people have no idea. When I travel and I tell people I'm from Wisconsin, they kind of look at me like, oh, or they don't even know where Wisconsin is. And I've often said we have some of the most amazing, amazing people in the state of Wisconsin, uh, including John, who chairs oh. this committee. I mean, seriously, oh, that you. that's really amazing. And, um, you know, the work that you're doing, not just locally, but nationally, really is making a difference. So no doubt the reason why you became a Wisconsin Titan 100. So I have to ask you, what did, what did winning, we were, we were commenting on this earlier about, we we're not sure how we won. So you have to tell me, what did it mean for you professionally to win that award? It, and it was, I mean, Sharon, right. Sharon, it was, it, I mean, it was such a, such a recognition that I, it was really humbling, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, especially once I, I met the other Titans and the work that they're doing uh, in so many different areas. And, and I did say, how did I get on this list? You know, how, how, how did I, what is it? Uh, they're just amazing, amazing people, amazing stories, amazing backgrounds. Uh, and just to be included in that group is, is uh, so remarkable for me professionally and, and personally uh, and hearing their stories and getting to connect with people on a one-to-one basis. Uh, and they learn a little bit about blood center and blood banking. And I learn a lot about a, many, many different businesses and opportunities and not-for-profits that are all part of, of, of Titan 100. I think it's a great program. I think it's certainly great recognition. Uh, and there's a series of events that go along with it that bring us together on, you know, some are professional development, some are just fun. And, uh, and, and being able to relate on multiple levels with some of the most fantastic leaders I've ever met. Uh, it's it's been a great experience, and yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I was joking with you earlier. I think my application must have gotten connected to somebody else's, and it got passed <laughs> right on along. Because, I don't uh, think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great. So um, one last thing I want to make sure and ask about what, within our time is the Green Bay Packer Mentor Protege Program. Mm-hmm. I know you're involved in that. Uh, for people who don't know a lot about that program, I think people are real curious about it. Can you talk to that program? Because I know that you've been involved in that. So tell us a little I, bit I, about that. Yeah. So so here's another one of those opportunities where you say yes and you, and you, you move forward. Um, the Packers support a great a great program in um, in Northeast Wisconsin uh, where they bring uh, new entrepreneurs and new business owners together with those that have some business experience. And they do a great job of matching uh, the expertise of a mentor um, with the, with the needs of a protege uh, they call them. And you go through a year long process uh, where you work with them side by side and help them develop business plans or to help them develop marketing plans or execute against strategy or just the everyday ins and outs of becoming a leader of an organization. Most of these are, are small business owners. Maybe most of them are first-time business owners and they're looking 
for some guidance along the way of, of how they can begin to grow and and um, and and really deepen their 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 business acumen along with um, the products and services that they're offering to the community. So uh, this is a great program that, um, you know, is, is part of a Packers outreach and, and supported. And um, there's a competitive process that goes along for both the protégés and, and for the uh, and for the mentors. And the, the important part there is getting the right match for the right people. And I've, I've helped a business develop business plans um, and funding plans um, to grow an organizations. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. And you, again, you get to meet so such remarkable people that are entrepreneurs and have that spark and are really engaged um, in in what they want to do and they have a passion about it. And just to be able to help them a little bit uh, move forward is is really, really rewarding. And, you know, the Packers are such a great organization for sure doing the NFL and doing the football piece of it in such a tradition of winning, but also reaching out to the community and supporting many, many other opportunities. Um, and in this case, it's for, um, for new entrepreneurs or growing entrepreneurs and, and having some support resources to it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, no. it's a fabulous, fabulous program. I was really um, excited to read that you are part of that program because obviously um, your leadership is, has been amazing. So, we're getting close on time here. Any words of advice or key skills or something that you can share with listeners that are saying, I want my career to be as magnanimous and fabulous as John's has been. Uh, what, what advice would you give them? I'll, I'll give, I'll, I would give them the same advice I give our new hire class when I meet with them on day one. Um, and that's, you know, find, find your passion. Uh, when it's 5 30, in the morning and it's February in Wisconsin and it's dark and cold, I'll be honest, um, knowing that, um, at the blood center, I'm getting up and all of the nearly 200 staff that, um, uh, that are part of the team are getting up every day to connect a blood donor to a patient. It helps you put your feet on the floor and get the engine started. And if you have that purpose, if you have that mission, if you have that feeling that what you're contributing to is certainly far greater than what you can do individually, it really does make the rest of the day a heck of a lot of fun. And, and when you're having fun, you can, there, it, it unleashes a, 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 an energy that's just uh, boundless. And so what I really hope for the new hires coming into the organization and, and for anyone out there listening is that you find that passion in what you're doing so that it's not a job. It's, it's not you're going to work, but this is what you're doing and you are firmly engaged. You're firmly leaning forward uh, into the activity. Uh, it makes everything go so much smoother. It doesn't feel like work. It, it really does feel like you're, you're doing something important. You're doing something that is moving the community uh, forward, that you're providing a service uh, for patients in, the, in my case. Uh, and, and this was the case of, of the career finding me and the mission finding me. And um, I've loved every minute of it. And, and what I wish for my daughters and for, for everyone is they find whatever it is um, that is their passion. You can see it in the protégés I talked about in the Packers program. They have a key, uh, a key element. Uh, one was a photographer and just loved sharing that idea of photography with her, 
clients and the smiles it brought to their faces. Another was 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 in a marketing agency and really wanted to help others, you know, put their best foot forward. And they had a passion for that. And um, and they found it. And I don't think that they thought that when they got up every morning, they were going to work. I think they thought that they were fulfilling, um, you know, what they were what they were put here to do. It, it is 100% critical to figure out your why. And when people do that, you can, I call it the aha moment. You can just see that the functionality of the day-to-day goes away and, and it's replaced by this feeling of what I'm doing every day is making a difference, not only for myself and my family, but for other people as well. So I want to make sure people know how to connect to John and to the Community Blood Center. So can you share how do people get in touch, whether they want more information for you or they want to be able to donate blood? Yeah. So hey, the, the easiest way to do any of this is to go to communityblood.org. Uh, okay. It has the contact us pieces. It has the donate piece. It has more information than I could ever provide about the process of donating blood and what it takes to, to really save a life. Um, someone will take an hour out of their, their day. Um, the blood donation process only takes about five minutes, uh, but they can take an hour out of their day between the medical street screening and the juice and cookies at the end. Uh, but they can have an impact. Uh, talked about breaking this down into three, three components that allows that one blood, blood donation to have an impact on up to three patients. Uh, so if they want to contact me, you can contact me through the website. Um, uh, you can also go to jhagans at communityblood.org if there's something else that uh, you, you want to ask. I'm always open to, to questions or ideas or anything else. But uh, if you want to connect with uh, the blood center, it's communityblood.org. Well, John, thank you so much for doing this. I've I've known your story for a while, and I wanted to make sure that that it was told and that people could hear uh, from someone who is just I admire and has done such amazing work in an industry that I think is somewhat, like you said, best kept secret. You've done a great job of making sure that the Community Blood Center in Appleton is no longer the best kept secret. So, thank you again well, for being a well, guest. Thank you. For- thank you for all you do. Thank you so much for uh, the invitation, and it's great to be a, a Wisconsin Titan 100 with you.